Please be seated. Have you ever met somebody that, that did not fit the profile of a person? We would not consider them normal, but they did amazing stuff because they were who they are. Now, there's, maybe we can, you can brainstorm and think about that a little bit. Someone that you know that, um, that just does not fit what, what you would expect them to be, and they're all the better for it. No, there's a story I've heard uh, during the time I was in Italy about a man that lived down in, in southern Italy, and his name was Giacomino. Nobody knows his last name, but shortly after World War I, he started going around southern Italy, and nobody had a Bible at that point in time uh, in, that, in that part of that country. And so what he would do is he had uh, a jacket that he would wear that was made out of some sort of canvas that he, he rubbed pine tar on so that it became a, like a waterproof jacket. And he had a little bedroll that he would sleep and he would just uh, kind of sleep beside the road wherever he went. And what he did is he got, the, he had a Bible and he had it in a case uh, that he would carry around, this big, huge Bible, and he'd carry it around with him. And he would go down to where people would bring their flocks to water and he would say, may I read the Bible to you? And he would wash his hands and he would take the cover off the Bible and he would just stand there and read. And people would come to listen. And he really didn't make any comments on it. He just would read. That's all he would do. And he would wander from place to place. And nobody knew really where he came from or, or how he was able to, to just travel around like that. He traveled on foot everywhere. And he would ask farmers, do you mind if I eat some figs off of your tree? And he would go, he would eat just enough until he was full, and then he would go. He carried nothing in his pocket, never stole anything from anybody. But that's what he did, is that he just read the Bible to people. And during that time, there were several groups that just started meeting and decided to call themselves churches because, you know, here, let's, let's get together and let's start talking about Scripture and let's talk about um, what God has for us. And people changed during that time. Now, there's not many of us. How many of you have ever done something like that? Okay, none. Um, That's not how most of us operate. Most of us like a house. We like a place to call our own. We like a home base or something, and we don't just wander very well. And this guy, we don't know anything about him, but when I think about him, I think about this is a guy who was like a modern-day John the Baptist, that God sent him to do a mission that was totally different, to be able to speak the words of God to people. And because he, is, he was so different, he was able to do it in a way that you or I could have never pulled off. And we're going back to Luke today. Uh, in Luke chapter 3, we're going to see the, the story and the message of John the Baptist and how God uses him to do pretty amazing stuff. Remember, in the weeks before, angels came, appeared to Zechariah, his father, in the temple, and uh, Zechariah couldn't speak for a while. Elizabeth and Zechariah have this child, and we know so far that he is going to be powerful in word and deed. We don't know a whole lot else about him. But here's where we see John the Baptist's ministry start to take off. Starting in chapter 3, it says, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and Trachonitis and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Ooh, those are some names there, right? The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, we'll come back to some of those names here in a minute because they're part of the storyline here. He went into the hill, into all the hill country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so John the Baptist, it doesn't say it in Luke here, but, but we see it in the other Gospels, is that he wore 
a garment made of camel hair or a belt of camel hair, and he would eat. What is it? If you know, you remember your Sunday school, locusts and wild honey. Now, how many of you are going to go home today and eat locusts and wild honey for lunch? Yeah, nobody. Not even a smart mouth here that raised their hand on this one. Yeah, nobody's even courageous enough to think about that. I've never, I, I did eat some mupami worms because a missionary brought some for us to try to eat mupami worms because that's a diet in certain parts of Africa. And it, what, it, didn't, it didn't do it for me, you know. It just was not, didn't, it didn't fill my stomach at all. And you think about that diet. John the Baptist was someone who lived that was very different than the people around him. And God designed him that way because of a special ministry for him. Because he was going to go before Jesus, which we'll see in a minute, to prepare the way for Jesus. But what his message is, according to Luke, what you see, is that he is teaching people a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he goes and people are coming to him from all over the place to be baptized because they want this access to the forgiveness of sins. They want to understand that. And he's paving the way for Jesus' message in this. And skip down. To, we'll continue on. I'll just read down through this section here bit by bit. Verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in and every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. All right. So from the prophet Isaiah, this is just what what, uh, Hagen read for us right here, that John's message and his ministry was to prepare the way for God's salvation, prepare the way for Jesus to come. He is the trailbreaker that's walking ahead. And uh, you think about all of this discussion of Isaiah here. He's going to make the hills low. He's going to make the roads straight because he's going to make access to Jesus and the kingdom of God a whole lot easier. Um, how many of you have ever done like a Spartan race, something like that? Some of you done a Spartan race? You did one? Yeah, I did a Spartan race. We paid money to do that, didn't we? Yeah, it was kind of amazing. It's uh, The Spartan race, I did it with some friends here a number of years ago in Great Falls. Uh, there was some of us in the church put together a team, and we went up near Big Fork and did this Spartan race. And if you're not familiar with Spartan races, what they are is it's, it's a running race somewhere between five and eight miles. You don't know. You get there, and you know that it's going to be that long. And the first thing that happens when you get to the starting line, they let you go in groups of 50 or so. You go, and there's about, it was about thigh-deep water for me. You had to wade through, and then you go up a hill that's about like that, and you just start going. And there is there are um, people come running out of the brush sometimes and chase you, which is kind of fun, because what you're supposed to be is a Spartan warrior. You're supposed to go, there's a, there's a big giant made out of hay. You grab a spear, and you throw it at him. You jump over fire at one point in time. There's about 100 yards where we had to crawl under, um, under barbed wire, and it was muddy, and you just, just crawl through that. And uh, there's logs that you had to move from over, over here to over there at some point in time. And again, you pay money to do this, right? And so we, we went through that. And one of the guys in our group won his age division, Bill Ballou who was in his early 60s at the point in time, won his age division, which was huge bragging rights. We never let him forget that. He's a pretty quiet guy, and he, but he, we made a huge deal about it. But it, was, it took us a long time to get from point A to point B. Now, if you tip, go over here to Belgrade High, there's a track over there. And the track is smooth. You can run around it. It's a quarter mile long. And if someone goes out there, you or I go out there, and run five miles, you can do it for free. You don't even have to pay to do that, right? 
Go out there and run five miles. Do you think we're going to get from point A to point B faster running on a smooth track with no obstacles or running in something like a Spartan race? You see? See the difference? The Spartan race makes things a lot harder to get from point A to point B. And the same was true as what was happening in Jesus' day, is it was really hard for to get from point A outside of the kingdom of God to point B inside the kingdom of God because there were so many obstacles in the way. And these obstacles, we'll see what they are here. If you continue on to verse 7, it says, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him. So John's going around preaching the message, and people are coming to hear it, and they want to be baptized. He says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we don't want to hear this, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So John's message here is, God is not interested in cultural historical religion. Okay? Being the children of Abraham. Don't tell me that because God does not care. God can raise children of Abraham out of the rocks here. Okay, That's not what we're interested in. If you go back through that list of people that have walked through that were in power there in, uh, in Judea and that surrounding area at that point in time, it's interesting that the Herods, for example, the Herods were a mixture. They were part Jewish, so they knew the law. And they became very powerful because Herod the Great was a friend of Caesar Augustus, and so they became very powerful in that that area. But they were awful, awful people. Oppressive, brutal. In fact, part of what happens here, John the Baptist gets in trouble because one Herod goes into his brother's house, into the court, his court, and, and one of the Jewish historians talks about this, and propositions the other brother's wife and says, hey, why don't you marry me? You can come with me, we can come today. And she said, well, if you'll divorce your current wife, then I'll leave here with you right now. And it did, and it happened. And, and so one of the Herods had married his brother's wife, and, and the Jews were, were disgusted with that. That, it, that should not happen in Israel. That, that shouldn't happen here. Or you look at the, um, uh, it says the, the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Okay, they were two very prominent, and you see them, come to play in the trial of Jesus as well. Even people that were Jewish that write during that time period talk about how terrible Annas and Caiaphas were as people. Terribly brutal, terribly rude, and they did whatever they needed to do in order to stay in power no matter who they hurt. And we see that with the trial of Jesus, don't they? Don't we? Yeah, that's exactly who they operated. And so these people, some of them, maybe not them specifically, but there's somehow Herod hears about what John the Baptist says later, but we'll get to that. But what happens, these people are coming and saying, hey, wait a minute, we want to be baptized here. And John says, okay, wait a minute here. Let's be real clear about something. God does not care that your ancestors were, were descendants of Abraham. Okay? God can bring that up out of the rocks. That's not what God cares about. What God cares about, and he says it twice in here, is that you produce good fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what God cares about. So if you're going to come to be baptized, understand right now what God is looking for from you is good fruit that's produced. And so the people ask, well, what does that mean? Verse 7, uh, or excuse me, verse 10 how should we do, what should we do then? They're asking, what, is, what does this mean? What does it mean to produce good fruit? And look what happens here. It says, John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? 
don't collect any more taxes than you are required to do, he told them. Now, tax collectors, if you're familiar with what tax collectors were, the Romans were really good. They were the occupying army there. And so they didn't collect their own taxes because that gives the Jews a common enemy. They would pay some Jewish person in order to collect the taxes themselves, and then the Romans would take it so that the Jews didn't have a common enemy. They would fight among themselves, and they did that with everybody. And so when tax collectors, for example, Jesus has lots of run-ins with them. When they would come to the table and say, hey, I want to find out about the kingdom of God, the Jewish establishment, the Jewish elite at that point in time, the response was, "Mm, I don't think we want to mess with you. There is too much work for you to come to God. We're just not, not interested. And so the door was closed. So the tax collectors come, and John the Baptist's response is, don't collect more than you're supposed to. In other words, John is willing to work with them where they're at to bring them into the kingdom of God. The way is being made straight. The obstacles are going away. He continues on. It says, then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't ex- accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So what does good fruit look like? You see in these three examples here, and the soldiers, again, they would have been harder for them to come to God because being a soldier is, is you know, that's, a, that's a big deal. There's some things we've got to work with, so we just prefer that you just not come to God. Share with others. Don't take advantage of others. And treat others fairly. We can divide these up in different ways. But when they ask, what does fruit of repentance look like? This is what John tells them. It matters deeply how you treat other people, whether there's fruit of repentance or not. That's what God is looking for. Here it is. This is what God is looking for. And talks to people that would have been excluded from the kingdom of God and gives them a foundation to start, to come to the kingdom of God. You see, the, see what's happening here? Is that people had be, who had been obstacles are being removed from the way so that people can come into God's kingdom. The way is being made straight so that when people hear the message of Jesus, they're ready to come to him. In verse 15, it says, The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, whose straps of the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, all, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all, and he locked John up in prison. So the people, they're coming to, to hear John and his message here. He says really clearly, I'm not the Messiah. He's coming. But John knows who he is and what God's plan is for him. He doesn't try to be somebody he's not. He just shares, I'm, I'm not the Messiah. He's coming. But this Messiah, something you need to know about him is that he's going to baptize to the Holy Spirit and with fire. This baptism that he's going to bring is going to be much greater than what I'm bringing here. Um, we're going to see that as we go along. Baptizing with the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. That's the promise that Peter gives. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is given to, to anyone who comes to Christ. But also, he says fire here. And, and I understand, and I can explain why I believe this here later another time if you're, if you're interested in this sort of thing. But he talks about fire, and then he goes into judgment immediately afterwards. 
He's talked about judgment a couple of times in this section. The axe is at the root of the tree, and here he talks about gathering in the wheat and dividing up the wheat from the chaff, and there's going to be going to be judgment and destruction coming for people who have been the obstacle for others coming to Christ. That's, that's where judgment, as John's talking about, that's why he's popular. That's why people are coming to hear the message, because their religious leaders are preventing them from coming to God. And John is saying, come on in. We'll deal with your baggage. We'll deal with your stuff. We'll deal with where you are, because where you are at, that's where you start in order to come to God. And we'll work with you in that. It's really what John's message is. And he proclaimed the good news to them. Now, oftentimes, we talked about this a little bit on, on Wednesday night, that sometimes, it's, in Scripture, oftentimes, the word judgment is combined with good news. And there's part of me that resists that and thinks, wait a minute here, I don't like judgment, I don't want judgment, how is judgment good news? But I believe judgment is good news when you think about it this way. How many of you ever had the experience of, a playground bully that was bigger, stronger than you, older than you, that, that, that inflicted some grief on you at some point in time. You know that? You know what that's about, right? Did you really appreciate it when judgment came down there? Yeah, we appreciate it because all of a sudden there's freedom for me that I didn't have before. Now that's how it works. And, and so that's what, what John is talking about here is I'm proclaiming the good news because people who have been oppressing, people who have been keeping you from God, this religious elite, they are not going to be allowed to do this anymore because Jesus is coming. And his message is going to be one that, that straightens the path for people to come to God. So let's talk about this for us. John's message for us, historical, cultural Christians versus fruit-producing disciples. Okay? If you study the history of Israel, we have a tendency as people, and this is true in Israel and it's true, I think, for us as well, is that we have to, to walk a balance to be faithful, to not run off one side or the other. In the early years of, after Israel came out of Egypt and they ended up in Canaan, what kept happening? What did the Israelites keep falling into over and over and over again? Idolatry, idolatry. They could not help but say, oh man, that God over there looks really good. We're going to bring him in here and we're going to worship him and we're going to build an altar to him up on the hill above Jerusalem. We're going to do that. And it just happened over and over and over again. The Israelites are taken into captivity. And when they come back, you notice what the Israelites never go back to? And you don't see it in Jesus' day. You don't see around Jerusalem these, these altars to different gods around there. They left idolatry. They finally left it. But what they did is went to another side and took great pride in who they are and became very, very legalistic. Do you see how those two things work? And we get in trouble if we go either direction from there. Uh, I think that same thing happens for us as Christians. I know for myself, and I'll, is, and I'll tell you my story and how I've walked through this, uh, this, this dynamic and, and became aware of it and, and why I believe it's so important that we think about it. Um, there is, in my family line, on my mom's side, her last name is Loney. Okay. Our family heritage, spiritual heritage, goes way back in that one of my great, 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 I don't know how many great grandfathers was baptized by Alexander Campbell in Virginia. Okay, if you know the history there, Alexander Campbell was a great reformer, restoration minister that uh, started preaching out there from West Virginia and, and sharing the message of God, talking about how to just become simple Christians. And we, 
you know, we are some of the spiritual descendants of, of some of that preaching that happened in our nation during that time. Of people that want to get back to the basics, take Christianity seriously, to, to, take, to, to put away the traditions that, that cr- create obstacles, but be just simple Christians. One of my direct, and I'm a direct descendant of someone who was baptized by Alexander Campbell. In my family, there's a Greek lexicon that it, I understand has, that was given to this relative way back by Alexander Campbell and has a dedication in it. Something very valuable to someone. But I can tell you that from my point of view, watching the history of, of my family, what I've seen is some that, that err on the side big time of deciding they're going to go right back into idolatry and, and have really messy lives and everything else is more important than God. And I have some as well that, have, that I've observed have taken great pride in whose child they are and whose descendant they are and their spiritual heritage, that that has become more important than producing fruit that comes from righteousness. Okay? And that can happen. And for myself, I know that if, if I stand, what I, what I pray I do is understand that my heritage and my family, all it does for me is gives me some shoulders to stand on and some good teachers to go forward. That's all it does. That's it. It doesn't matter. You don't hear me talk about that a whole lot. Because really, what matters to God is producing fruit that comes from repentance. Now, our tendency sometimes, and I'll, I'll say this, for those of you who grew up in the church, if somebody ever tells you, well, if you grew up in the church, you're not so excited about your faith, don't buy that at all. It's not true. That can happen, but it doesn't, that doesn't have to be. Every one of us, no matter what our situation is, whether we come to Christ when we're older, whether we grow up in the church, we have a decision to make, is Christ going to be number one for me? That's all of us, no matter who we are. We have to make that decision. And I know for myself, there's times where I've, try, I've tried to, to wrestle not going either side, but I've wrestled into, as, as a young person especially, being extremely critical with people not being where I thought they should be at some point in time. And fortunately, I had some very, very kind but very wise people at some point in time come along at different points in my life and tell me, Chris, you can't do that. You can't act that way. You can't think that way. And, and they, were, they, they walked me through it. So, I mean, some were kind than others. I needed people to be direct with me, honestly, so during some of those college years, and I, I was really wrestling through some of that. But there were some people that, that were courageous enough to have those conversations with me, and I'm thankful for that. And hopefully all of us have people that are courageous enough to, to call us higher. But you see, God doesn't care. <laughs> okay, I don't want to be too blunt. Who your parents are, who your aunts and uncles are, who your spiritual heritage is, except that in you, it is producing spiritual fruit that comes from repentance. That's all that God, that God matters, that matters to God. And that's John the Baptist was very clear on that. And so all of us are in the same spot. All of us, as Romans says, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So our job is to be faithful where I am right now and pursue God. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what, what God wants from us. And we see here is that it matters greatly how we treat others. To God, it matters greatly how we treat others. That's what John the Baptist told them, is that fruit that bears, comes from repentance is how you interact with others. It, it matters deeply, whether you're sharing, whether you're gracious, whether you're kind. That's, a, that's what fruit looks like that comes from repentance. And we're called to share the good news of Jesus. 
all of us have to, I think, ask ourselves, hopefully consistently. And let me share it this way. I went on a walk with my dog here a while back and along the Gallatin River, and I wanted to get to the other side. The other side looked really amazing. It looked like it was going to be neat to go over that other side. But the water's cold. I had boots on. I really didn't want to walk through the water. I could have got there, but it would have taken a lot for me to get to the other side. My dog didn't care. She jumps in. She swims. Whatever. Fine with her. Not me. It's kind of hard for me. I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to do that that day. I wasn't going to take my shoes off. I wasn't going to walk over. So I walked along and kept walking along, kept walking along, and finally came to a log that someone else had put there that I was able to step on, and I didn't fall in. I have done that before, but I walked across the log because someone provided a bridge over to the other side. And that's a great question for all of us to ask ourselves is, how, how do I present Jesus to everybody else? How do I present Jesus to my family? Am I part of the river that just it, it causes difficulty for people to cross? Or am I a bridge that is an open door saying, come on over, come on over? Because that's one of the biggest things that you see with John the Baptist and Jesus immediately, where the religious elite were saying, cross the river, get wet, fine, go. Yeah, I don't care how tough it is for you to come to God. And Jesus and John the Baptist said, let's open up the bridge. Come on over. We'll work on the details. We'll get you here. But we want you to come to God as you are. And that is good news. And just like we've talked about, that's something that we as a church, I see it from you guys all the time, and I'm so thankful to be a part of of this community of faith here because I want to go through life with you sharing the abundant life of Jesus. We have so much to share. We have so much good news, and I pray that we share that with people by word and by our actions every day that we're alive in this in the time that God gives us. If you'd like to become a Christian or you'd like prayers of the church, you can head to the back. The elders are waiting back there to pray with you today.